Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, in case you needed any additional evidence that this new year might hold some unpredictable moments for us, uh, I did not go to bed on Friday night expecting to wake up to a winter wonderland on Saturday. Uh, but that's exactly what happened, and then it was pretty much gone by lunch. Uh, and I have no idea what's going to happen later today. So, you know, we, we have these moments where it's clear to us that life has these ups and downs that, that just seem to happen to us, that, that we don't see coming. And, and in a life that can be that uncertain, that unpredictable, we can find ourselves reaching for anything that appears, even at first glance, to be strong enough to carry us through. Anything. And yet we know, as we gather together this morning, as people of faith, we know that we confess that of all the things in this world that we might be tempted to, to place our trust in, there is only one place, there's only one power, one force in all of existence that deserves that kind of trust, that deserves our total dependence, and that's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we gather together each week to reaffirm that truth, that conviction, that we build our lives, that our foundation is God. We, we sing together songs that proclaim that truth, and now we open up our hearts to Scripture that time and again in every corner of Scripture we find ourselves having this clarity that all people have always been tempted to chase after the wrong things to build their lives on. And we want to be the people who confess again in, in the threshold of this brand new year. That we want to resist those temptations. That, that we want with, with power and authority that comes from God to continue to rely on God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? We come before you. God, in, in all of, in all of the... the the thoughts that we carry with us and in the, the wake of all of the feelings, the emotions that we may have coursing through us with all of the, the, the hope, the fear, the dreams, the anxiety, all of it, we bring it with us, God, and we give it to you, trusting that this is the place you have called us to be as your people. That this community is a place where we get together and we find you, in the face of our brothers and sisters, in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And we thank you for that miraculous gift of community that's shaped by the cross. And God, as we open up your word this morning together and focus our hearts on what it is that you want to say to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us have the courage to truly listen. And not only to listen, but to live in light of what we hear. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. So in the Gospel of Luke, we, we find a spotlight that's shining on all three of those personal aspects of who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there is this special focus on God the Son. There is this special focus on Jesus. And I'm guessing that no matter who you are, when I say the name Jesus, you have some kind of response, some kind of reaction you might immediately have this sense of warm affection that you feel when you hear the name Jesus. You may, this morning, find a, a, a sense of challenge when you hear the name Jesus. You, you may find yourself 
more than anything else, having a sense of curiosity that with with what you know about Jesus, you, you feel like there's so much you don't know and you want to learn more, you, you want to experience more. You may find this morning that more than anything else, what you experience is doubt. That if you're honest and, and you're sifting through your heart, you've got a lot more questions than anything else. You may find this morning that when you hear the name Jesus, you have regrets that you may be wrestling with shame because you're not sure exactly how to be comfortable in your own skin in his presence. I don't know what kind of response or reaction you have this morning when you hear the name Jesus, but whoever you are, you have some sense of who you think Jesus is. You have some understanding of what you think Jesus stands for. And for the next three Sundays, we're going to be together exploring who Jesus really is. Not who we want him to be, not who we wish he could be, but who scripture really says he is. And one thing is certain, no matter how experienced we are in our faith, no matter how long we've been going to church, no matter how many times we've read the Bible, this one thing is certain. There is always more to Jesus than our current understanding of him. Always. There are always aspects of Jesus, aspects of his life and his ministry that we just haven't really focused on nearly enough. And because we haven't focused on those aspects of who he is and what he wants to do, as everyday disciples, we're struggling to know that that's something we should have happen in our own lives. As people who are following in his footsteps, if we have blind spots, and brothers and sisters, we all have blind spots, we know this morning that we want through the power again of the Holy Spirit and through the love of God and through the presence of Christ, we want to have the eyes of our hearts healed. We want to have the eyes of our hearts opened up to see what it is that we're just not seeing. To taste and see that the Lord is good in ways that maybe we haven't even imagined yet. There's always more to Jesus than our current understanding of him. And And my hope in the next three weeks as we really wrestle with the identity of Jesus is that we we come to better understandings of who Jesus is. Because every time we come to a better understanding of Jesus, we experience a better encounter with Jesus. And that encounter is what changes us. That encounter is what helps drive us deeper and deeper into the life that God wants for every single one of us. Interestingly enough, though, we're going to start this journey of having a better understanding of Jesus by listening to someone other than Jesus talk about Jesus. We're going to start this journey by listening to to a really eccentric, different character in the New Testament who goes by the name John the Baptist. Now, it doesn't, it's not like he's John the Church of Christ guy, right? That's, That's not what we mean when we say John the Baptist. We obviously are talking about this, this prophet who shows up suddenly in the wilderness, as far as anyone else is concerned. He reminds everybody of Isaiah and and Hosea and all the prophets of old. And he is preaching this message about a new world that's coming. And people start to get the sense that the entrance fee to get into that world that's coming is baptism. So they're coming out to hear him talk, and more than that, to be baptized by him. So that they can check that off and feel like they've jumped through that religious hoop. So that 
that when the Messiah shows up, which is who who John's always preaching about, and and he's always trying to help them imagine just how much everything is going to be different when the Messiah shows up. They want to be a part of that difference. They want to experience it. See, because anytime you talk about a future version of the world that's better than the one we have right now, if, if you're like any ordinary person, you start to personalize that future for yourself. And you, you quickly move from thinking about a better world for everybody to mainly thinking about a better world for you. Right? I'm thinking about a better world for me. And they're captivated by that. So, so they start coming out of the woodwork and they go out to the wilderness. And I, I'll be honest with you. I remember clearly the very first time I was really introduced to John the Baptist. It was a flannel graph in a first grade Sunday school. And he didn't look like somebody who I would be friends with. You know, in first grade, I I was pretty timid. I was the smallest kid in my my Sunday school class that would be that way for a long, long time. We're not going to go into that now. But but I was, was listening to this teacher talk about this wild guy out in the wilderness who chose to just kind of tough it out all the time out there. He he told people. Uh, not just the truth, but he told it in ways that was uncomfortable. I mean, these people would come out to hear him preach, and his introductory statement was, you brood of vipers, who told you to come out here? And they stayed to listen. Right? He has this, this commanding presence. The thing that worried me most about him when I was a kid, though, was his diet. You know, he ate grasshoppers dipped in honey for dinner. And I was struggling with my mom's peas and meatloaf. And I was afraid... You know, at some point, my mom and dad would decide John the Baptist was someone I needed to be more like, and we were going to start to get really, you know, experimental with our diet. And I thought, I don't want to be like that. In so many ways, John just feels different from me in, in some of the most basic, fundamental aspects of who I am. And over and over again, he, he speaks this truth to people. He says to them, yeah... You're right to believe that the Messiah is coming. Our, our prophets have always preached about that. And you're right to believe that when the Messiah comes, he's going to change everything for the better. And you're even right to, to long to be a part of that. But see, you've reduced it to, if you get baptized, then you've, you've reserved a spot in this new kingdom. And that's about all it's going to take. And then you just get to sit back and wait for everything to get better, for everything to change. And John says, look, you're not thinking this through. If everything about the world changes, then for you to be at home in that new world, everything about you is going to have to change. It's not going to work for you to dream about all the ways that things are going to be better in the future and think that all you have to do is come out here and get yourself cleaned up spiritually speaking with baptism and then... Wait to see what happens next. He preaches about this world, right? This vision that they're really drawn to. It's a a new world that we already read about out loud together this morning in the welcome Stephen led us in it. It's this this world where all the valleys are filled in and all the mountains are are leveled. A world where there's no low places or, or high places, no haves and have nots, no ruling class and slaves, no filthy rich and dirt poor. It's this world where everybody has enough and nobody has way too much. A world where fairness isn't just a fairy tale and social equality is a reality. This is the world that John is saying the Messiah can make possible. And it's a world, I'll freely admit, feels impossible when you think about 
the way the world tends to go in our own experience. Right? It, it seems like it really is a fairy tale. And yet John is basing his life and he's basing the life of God's people on the conviction that it's not just too good to be true, it's too good not to be true. But again, they've, they've taken this vision and they have, have found all the ways it's going to improve their daily experience. They're not wrestling with, you know, what happens if, if this is going to cause me to have to change not just part of who I am, but, but everything about my life, everything I built my life on. See, over the years, God's people gradually became just like everybody else in what John believes is the worst possible way for them to become just like everybody else. And that is that they see themselves as more important than anybody else. They're looking out for themselves. They're looking out for number one in every situation. And as much as they want the world to be better, they've made do with the way the world is, and they've figured out how to navigate it, and they know the rules, and, and some of them are, are actually getting to a place where they don't just have enough, they have way more than enough, and yet they can always see somebody in their society who has a little more than them, right? And so those are the truly rich people. Or they see somebody who has a little more influence or power than them. Well, those are the, those are the people that have everything. I'm, I'm one of the people that, that, you know, I don't have all the things that I really hope I'll have. As much as they might be responsible for other people that they're ruling over. There's always somebody that, that they're having to serve. And so every time they hear John preach, they find a way to put themselves in a position to be blessed by the world that is to come more than changed by it. And John's not having it. He's, he's as straightforward and as clear as anybody could possibly be. And he finally gets through to them. And so they ask him, okay, if for the world to change and for us to be in that world, we're going to have to change, what do you want? And he says, well, for starters, you're going to have to think way more about who you're going to be than just undergoing baptism." Right? And, and I think we relate to this struggle. Now, John's baptism is different than Jesus' baptism, but in many ways it was functioning in similar ways in the, in the theological imagination of the people who come out to be cleansed. They think it's the way to get into God's kingdom. Right? They're not even thinking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're not thinking about all of the, the layers of meaning that Jesus will bring to baptism, but they do feel like it's, it's what they've got to do in order to get what they want. And John says, look, baptism, it's not your way to lock your reservation into the kingdom. Baptism is, is a promise we make to God about who we want to be in God's kingdom. It's not simply a way for us to get God to let us into his kingdom. And they hear that, and they say, okay, then what else? And that's where we're going to read together this morning. So open your Bible up to Luke chapter 3. Start reading together in verse 10. Okay, the crowd says, what should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? 
Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly. And they were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah, the one he's talking about. John answered them all, Look, I baptize you in water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In case they're wondering who he's talking about, he's talking about them. Right? He's talking about people who want to be a part of the kingdom, but aren't really going to change in any way to be at home in the kingdom. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. It's a good news with a hard edge. John doesn't want anyone to claim that there was any sort of bait and switch here. He wants to be clear John understands that what, what you win people with is what you win them to. And he doesn't want folks who just think that being a part of the kingdom is coming out and listening to, to sermons that make them feel justified in all the ways that they're not really pursuing the heart of God. When they ask this wild man from the wilderness, okay then, what do we really need to do? He tells them, in a manner of speaking that they need to start living like the world that is to come is already here. Right? He says, okay, look, the Messiah is going to change everything. And in the world that is to come, people are going to generously, freely share anything extra they have. So be generous now. In, in the world that is to come, People are going to be honest with themselves about how much they actually need to get by. And they won't try to take any more than they, they need from anybody else. So be honest about your basic needs now. In the world that is to come, people who have power won't use that power to always acquire more and more influence or to create the world in their own image simply because they can. Instead of having this greed for more, they will be content. So be content now. John is saying to them, you've been living your life waiting for this better world for you, but it's never been a better world just for you. It's a better world for all of God's children and instead of just waiting for that world to come true, do everything in your power to live like that world is already coming true. Because it is. It's already breaking in. Jesus, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, he's already on the scene. He, he's been around for 30 years. They may have even heard a story once or twice about this 12-year-old who showed up at the temple and, and had these amazing questions and, and had this level of wisdom that nobody else had ever seen before. But that's an old story by now. Maybe they think it's just a rumor or a legend, but they don't see Jesus as the Messiah they've been waiting for because they think that they can somehow manage to see and experience the world that is to come, the world where everything's changed without undergoing any change in their own lives. 
And John wants them to understand that if you stay stuck in that old world, you can't see the new one. And it's a choice you have to make. It's not a choice anyone else can make for you. It's a decision you have to come to. They aren't going to see Jesus as the Messiah. They're just going to see some no-name son of a carpenter from this little backwater village who has these dreams that seem too good to be true. And even if they do get to the place where they see Jesus as the Messiah, God's special servant that they've all been waiting for, John knows this is the mistake they're going to make. They're not going to see him the way he really is. They're going to see him the way they desperately want him to be. They're going to turn him into every other military or political leader they've ever tried to follow. And they're going to insist that that the only way they're going to follow him is if he takes them to the top, not if he takes them to the cross. What good is it for this new world to start breaking into our old world if we're still in love? with the brokenness of that old world, if we're still in love with the ways we have managed to take advantage of the system where some people have and some people don't, and some people are in power and some people have no power, and some people matter and other people don't, and some people have voices and other people don't. John says, do you really want to live in that new world that is to come? Or... Are you, are you really stuck because of the choices you've made? Are you farther away? Not because of anything anybody else has done, but because of your own choices and your own decisions. It's, it's a challenging, challenging chapter in the story of the gospel. John wants the people listening to him to understand that this new world order Jesus is going to establish, that the kingdom Christ is going to create, it's something you can only see clearly and experience fully if your life is in tune with God's life. It's not about jumping through religious hoops so that you can get in. It's about having this soul-deep humility that, that leads you to admit how desperate you are, that that you know you need in, that that you need a a place at the table, that you need an invitation to the party. Christ's kingdom is a place where people are generous and honest and content. And if you aren't really interested in being any of those things, it's not that you're not going to be allowed into the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, it's that you wouldn't actually want into that kind of kingdom. If, if the kingdom that you're most at home in is the kingdom where you're king, you got a problem. Because in the kingdom of God, there's one king, and it's not any of us. John wants us to wrestle with that uncomfortable truth. I, I think it's hard to think about the world that Jesus wants to bring into being in the midst of our old world. It's hard to think about that and have to come to terms with the fact that that new world may frighten us more than it encourages us. That world may may threaten us more than it comforts us. But I want you to think about this. Do you really want to live in a world where your money and your food and your clothes and all of your stuff really don't matter to you? 
aside from taking care of your basic needs and then doing everything you possibly can to take care of the basic needs of other people. Do you really want to live in in a world with that kind of generosity? Do, Do you really want to live in a world where you would never, ever even think about putting profit over people? Where every time you make a decision, if you have a way to to take care of others, you you find a way to do it? Do you really want to live in a world where the only good use of power is empowering other people with it? See, that's the world Jesus wants to bring into being. And we have to be honest with ourselves about whether or not we want to find a place in that kind of world. And and John says, here's the thing. Here's how you know. If you'd rather just think about that new world more than than start to live like it's already here, you're not ready. Right? If, If you'd rather just talk about it or dream about it instead of engaging it and encountering it, you're not ready. You may think you're ready, but you're not actually ready. Because that world that John promised, it's here. It really is coming true, but we can only see it. We can only really experience it if our heart is beating with God's heart. If our dreams are really God's dreams. And if our lives are becoming more and more Christ's life on the face of the earth. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, right? The A to the Z in Greek. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. And that's absolutely true, but it's it's not the whole truth because Jesus isn't just the beginning and the end. Jesus is also the end and the beginning. Jesus is the end of our old life and the beginning of our new life. But just like the crowd over 2,000 years ago was listening to John the Baptist talk about that new, that new life, we can only see and experience God at work in the midst of this world when we make the choice to live lives that move through this world in the same ways for the same reasons. When we reach out, regardless of the cost, to try to help heal a broken life, it's then that we see how close Jesus is to the brokenhearted. When when we find a way to make peace, at times maybe to wage peace, in a relationship that's been broken and shattered by somebody else, it's then that we get to see and experience just how present and how peace-filled that presence is of the Almighty God who calls us to be peacemakers. When, When we give enough money to a worthy cause that we end up having to adjust how we spend the rest of our money, especially on ourselves, it's then that we get this this experience of the gentle strength that comes from knowing that we are being taken care of. As we take care of others, we are being taken care of by the great provider. When we open our homes to other people, when when we open our tables to other people to share time and meals with them, it's then that we find that Jesus really is present in the lives of other people and he's sitting in our living room or he's sitting across us at the dinner table 
when we have a chance to take advantage of someone in a business deal, and, and when we're honest and fair with them instead of, of cutthroat, we experience the joy that comes from knowing that our heart belongs to our Heavenly Father and it isn't held captive to financial gain. When we serve someone with gifts and talents that God has given us, and we demand nothing in return, it's then that we're filled with this gratitude that comes from knowing that we can never outserve the God who is always standing beside us and serving in every way imaginable. He's here. Christ is here. The kingdom's here. And the only way for Christ's kingdom to touch more lives is for more of us to start living in that kingdom way of life, the Jesus way of life. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, what Jesus wants more than anything else is for us to be changed in all the right ways for the sake of other people. He really is the end and the beginning. He's the end of all the bad, all the darkness, all the brokenness that we carry around inside of us. And he's the, he's the beginning of all the good and all the light and all the healing grace that we could ever possibly need, I promise you. But the inescapable truth is that Christ's kingdom way of life is something that you and I only get to really live through intentionality and discipline. It's a kind of life you and I can only taste by watching carefully what we do, what we say, how we treat other people, through planning to partner with Jesus, not just to think about being generous and and honest and content, but to live lives that are marked by generosity and honesty and contentment. The kingdom way of life can make us and will make us kinder and stronger and better, but we're going to have to work really hard to partner with the Holy Spirit in that transformation journey. And in light of that challenge, here's my concern. It can be really tempting for you and I to decide that we'll just keep telling ourselves that we'll get around to it later. That maybe just knowing better Instead of actually living better, maybe that's good enough for now, except that it isn't. It isn't good enough. It's not good enough to know intellectually the kind of people we should be and yet continue in our old ways of life. It's not enough to admit to ourselves that there are times we mistreat people and we dismiss their inherent value as a child, a dearly loved child of God, and feel guilty about it, but not change the way we actually relate to people. It's not a matter of the way we think. It's not a matter of the way we feel nearly as much, John says, as it's always a matter of what we actually do, who we actually are, how we actually live. If we want to be at home in Christ's kingdom, we have to stop coming up with excuses for the ways we're not yet like Christ. Because what he wants to do in relationship with us more than anything else is help us step out of our old lives so that we can be blessed and become a blessing in this new life that he has always had hope we could live. And I just pray that our hope becomes more and more as strong as Christ's hope in us. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their Spouses will be out in our church lobby, at the perimeter of the room. They're there to pray with you, to talk with you. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, if, if you want to know more about our church, if you have any burden at all that you'd like to pray with a Christian couple about, please go to them as together we stand and sing.